Welcome to Fantasy Watch, the show bringing you fantasy Overwatch content so that you can enjoy your fantasy team more, find more success, and understand what's happening in the Overwatch League even better than before. Two, and a little bit of a stage three introductions. Maybe we'll see how much time we have at the end, but I know I'm super excited to be here. My name is Invictus, and I'm here with my boy, Mikey. What's up, Mikey? Hello, hello. My name is Mikey. I'm just ready to talk about Overwatch. Uh, we had, we had a spectacular season two with uh, with just some interesting uh, beginnings well, towards the beginning of stage two and a spectacular climax towards the end. And uh, yeah, how was your week? My week was great, man. I had a, a great time. I actually I got married. That's why we didn't have the episode last week. So that was fun. Uh, and then we got to watch a ton of really good Overwatch. Not that the two compare on a monumentous scale or anything, but you know, I definitely really enjoyed the stage two finals as well as the close race to get into the finals for stage two. We saw some really good drama between some teams as well as some really good performances. I was super excited to watch it, um, and I'm really excited to talk about it as well. Uh, hey, I mean, you know, we, we've reached the halfway point of the entire watch season right now, so <laughs> things are things are they have to start heating up right now, right? right dude, right yeah, I mean, there are some <laughs> teams that are you know get are already mathematically uh, kind of bumped out of the playoff race, and there are other teams that are fighting to keep their playoff dreams alive. I'm excited to see which ones kind of finalize that, which ones pick it up, what teams continue to struggle. Um, but so for this week, though, what we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to give you guys a recap on stage two, or a recap of the week, rather, sorry, um, a stage two recap. And then we're going to talk about some of the stage leaders, so some of the players that perform best in their role throughout stage two. Uh, we want to bring some of those names up and then talk about whether or not we think they're going to be in the same position after stage three. All right. And that kind of brings us into the uh, week five uh, matchup recap. Uh, we're going to go ahead and start with a great game. Um, I hope you guys got to catch it. The Los Angeles Gladiators versus the Philadelphia Fusion. Go ahead and talk to us about that game, Mikey. All right. Well, so we have the Los Angeles uh, Gladiators and the Fusion game. The what a spectacular performance by from both teams. Now, even though we saw that it, uh, it went to a 3-1, it could have easily been a 2-2. So, some maps, they it, it just came neck to neck and neck, and Philly just pulled it out in the end. Especially that, especially that uh, Route 66 map. Uh, the Gladiators almost full held that, but one crucial mistake by Bishu cost them that. Not saying he cost them the game, but that crucial mistake cost them that map, and then it was just game over. Now, from this game, we saw... We saw complete mechanical dominance from Carpe on the Widowmaker. He hit shot after shot, pick after pick, crit after crit. His fantasy value, just, his fantasy value, just skyrocketed from that game. And and uh, on the Gladiator side, we 
we saw we saw the ever consistent performance from uh, Fisher. Bichu's of ever improving performance, actually, even though I just I just um, harped on him for costing the, the Route 66 map. We he still had a great performance overall. Hydration, just doing that those X factor things, but and uh, Asher may have struggled a bit that game. We've seen better days from Asher for sure. What are your thoughts, Victor? Well, on that game specifically, um, I was actually pretty impressed with both teams. Now, I actually thought, I think I had called out that I thought that the Gladiators were going to be able to win this one with Fisher. although maybe I didn't. I can't remember what I called last week. Um, but I think that both teams showed a lot of fortitude. It was a lot closer than the map score actually suggests. I know that a lot of people have said that about a lot of different matchups, but it is true about this one for sure. Although I think that Philadelphia has so many DPS options at this point that it gives them a clear advantage over everyone. Um, we've considered Shadowburn to be one of the best players in the world, specifically at Genji for a very long time. EQO fits his shoes, no problem. Then he adds in the fact that he can play a very good Widowmaker. He can also play some Tracer. He's played Farah. He played Diva. Um, you know, I'm yeah. Road, his Roadhog was super nasty. Like I'm questioning what he can't play. Um, yeah, what is it? What is it that he can't play? Yeah. So even if like Shadowburn is better Genji than EQO is, EQO might be the best choice to play every week. Just not just in fantasy, but in real life, because you can adjust with him. Whereas Shadowburn's adjusting, we've really only seen him play three players uh, or three heroes. Genji, now, what are your thoughts on that? junk. What are your thoughts on Snowlo, though? He also had just a fantastic performance every time he came off the bench. What do you think about him? What do you, uh, like Snowlo continues to impress me. I think that he's going to continue to be one of the top tracers in the league when he gets to play. The hard part is, is he's on the team with arguably one of the best tracer players in the world. Already. Um, and so he does play that second fiddle. But because they have a tracer player that is better than maybe half the league's tracer players on their bench. Um, it gives them the opportunity that Carpe can flex. Uh, it's not like where you had Valiant, where it was soon who would swip, swap between Tracer and Widow. You know, they may be one of the te- only teams that can run a truly elite Widow Tracer. Um, yeah, we saw that in Route 66 when they actually brought in <clears throat> Carpe specifically, for, uh, you know, Route 66 and Hollywood specifically for um, his Widow value. And Snello fit into the main Tracer's shoes, no problem. He, yep. was, he was winning with his duels. Um, holding his own, getting picks, causing disruption. <laughs> uh, this kid continues to surprise me, uh, especially from his old days in Contenders EU. Like he, he was he was widely he was widely regarded as a great player, but it was just the EU scene was just relatively unknown. But this kid he continues to surprise surprise me, and I I don't know where the ceiling ends at this point. <laughs> Yeah, dude, I think it's going to be exciting to see. Um, his fantasy value also continues to skyrocket. You're finally starting to see him. Um, you know, just because of his playtime, he may not be a DPS 1 or a DPS 2, but he is a viable DPS 3 at this point, especially if going forward you start to see that we're seeing Snillo on 1 to 2 maps. 
He might like consistently every week. One or two maps from Snillo might be better than you know four maps of some of the other players that you might have on your team, or if you're playing like a third tank or something like that because you got screwed in the draft. Uh, so I would keep your eye on Snillo. Might be somebody to stash, especially if in the future we start seeing more of this Tracer Widow. That combo is just nasty. Um, and it took them a very long way this week, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, that kind of brings us into Thursday. You know, Thursday had a couple matchups that I think were really important. Um, actually, well, we're going to talk about something else that's kind of related to Thursday, but happened on Wednesday as well. Um, and we're going to talk more about it before, but I do want to mention, you know, the Sinatra debut. Uh, San Francisco played Florida. The Sinatra era is here, and we're going to talk a lot more about that in depth a little bit and maybe what that means and what it might mean for your fantasy team. But for now, that was a very good map. Uh, Mayhem pulls out a win over San Francisco in very stylish fashion. It was a very close game from both teams. I think we have seen both of these teams starting to elevate themselves above the rest of the kind of bottom tier, if you will. And I'm excited to see what they can do in stage three. Logics, logics, logics. <laughs> yeah, logics. Oh. And, and even Tavik, they seem to have more space um, where logics and Tavik are able to you know, maneuver successfully, play better. Logics is hitting more of his shots. He's got some more pep in his step. You know, I mean, Mikey have talked about this in depth and I've talked about in some other places as well. Used to watching him, you know, on the walkouts and stuff. And he just, he didn't look happy. Um, and there's something to be said about that. Uh, and it could be that you know, he felt down on himself because they weren't performing. It could be coaching situation. Who knows? It doesn't really matter. Um, I'm hoping that we get this logics to stay because it is very impressive to watch him. Um, and Tavik is playing like the Tavik we expected him. And that may have something to do, you know, both of them just going off together. It could be, you know, one of them feeling better about, you know, particular play sets and they're diving better together. Who knows? Whatever it is, I hope to continue to see Mayhem improve. Um, but that brings us into Thursday. Thursday had some interesting map up, matchups, actually three. You had the return of Sinatra at the end of the night. The middle of the night had New York Excelsior and Dallas, a game we probably all thought was going to be 4-0 for New York. I thought it was one, I thought it was going to be one-sided for sure, but we're going to get, we're going to touch up on that. Yep, because I think that's a, a great matchup. And then the same night we saw Houston, a team that's pretty much struggled throughout um, stage two, take on soul and win. And I think that that's yeah, a, a high note. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a combination of Houston upping their play. We saw a little bit better, maybe substitutions. Lynx are playing uh, tracer. He's probably the best tracer on the team. And that's kind of a scary fact at this point. Um, but he played really well. They also put Jake back on Junkrat. Look, I get it. You want to do the meta thing. You want to fit in with everybody else. You want to be the cool kid at school and you want to have the popular shoes and your Yeezy boosts or whatever. But sometimes you got to say, screw the meta. We have to play what we're best at. And I think that Houston did that a little bit. Now, minus putting links around Genji, that may not be his traditional best hero, but he looked great. Um, I think he, if he's going to do that full time, he does need to practice a little bit more. But it gave other people on the team options to play their best hero. So Linkser, even when he's not on his best heroes, continues to enable the team. He is kind of the backbone um, of that Houston roster in some ways. So, and that brings us into New York and Dallas. Uh, like Mikey said, you know, 
a really close game. New York pulls out a three to two in the uh, third map of the tiebreaker. It was good Overwatch. Um, Dallas came out. Yeah, I think sure it was better Overwatch that we've seen from Dallas in a long time, and they filled in a completely new revamped roster uh, lineup of like Mickey on the main tank and Siegel on uh, flex tank Diva dude. Uh, go into go into that uh, go into that big like what's what's up with that? <laughs> yeah, dude, we were actually talking about this as we were watching. Um, you know, Dallas has had a ton of struggles, been very well publicized. I'm not going to talk too much about the drama because who needs salt thrown in wounds? But I think that what's important is if you look at who they played, they had what I was considering and what I tweeted about probably the prime core communication team. So you got Mickey. Effect, Rascal, Siegel, Custa, Chips. Um, most of those players are either very vocal or they're paired with somebody who speaks the same language as them. You got Rascal and Effect on, in, you know, being able to dive together in Korean. If they need to, if Rascal says something off the fly in Korean and needs help and his instinct isn't to translate it, he can call out for, for help in Korean. And there's going to be somebody on the team that understands at least. Um, and, and that's somebody's effect. Uh, and that's somebody's effect, you know, really reassuring. <laughs> yeah. And Effect can also, has good enough English communication that, you know, if, he starts if rascal calls something out real quick you know high ground or where i don't know some point on a map who knows doesn't really matter but i think that that helps and you also got siegel and mickey um on the tank line together two very um intellectual players who kind of know what's going on around them mickey extremely vocal siegel's not going to crowd comms but he is going to communicate what he needs to communicate and you got Custa and Chips back on the back line. So again, on the back line, you got one person who communicates a ton, one person who doesn't communicate as much but might be a little bit more. Um, I think it's a good mix, and I'm hoping that we can continue to see that. I want every team in the Overwatch League to be competitive because at the end of the season, if we have nine teams that are vying to try to get the eight playoff spots or ten teams who – you know, in the final weeks, you got three, four teams at the bottom half that are fighting to get in and still, you know, well in the running. It just means you get better overwatch. It means we had more close games. Um, you know, we don't have these kind of one-sided uh, affairs where New York and, um, you know, New York and uh, London are really not losing very much during the season. So it'll be interesting, but I think that I want them all to succeed. And I think that it's really nice to see some of these teams that we considered to be kind of lost or on the downside, uh, trying to finally get some up and up, especially against a great team like NYXL, um, who we all know by now is the stage champions. What do you think, Mikey? Um, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I just, I just want to see a better overall Overwatch. Just, I just want to see competitive Overwatch. Um, I, like, I never, I never want to go into, go into a single day where I just want to kind of want to just skip the game because, oh, yeah, um, London's playing sub, Shanghai, uh, 4-0, easy. I shouldn't, I shouldn't even watch it. And I really expected the, the case for New York and Dallas. 
but it, it it got down to the wire. Third got down to the wire. Third map, and we saw a completely new, a more competitive Dallas. And and uh, this stage, we've really seen those bottom, those what you would consider bottom of the barrel teams, really rise and and they're in competitiveness like Florida, San Francisco. Um, even, and, uh, even Dallas, it's just, uh, even Dallas towards this last week and a half, they had, they could, they, he could have easily had two victories against these top tier teams, you know, and I, I'm just, I'm just excited. Yeah, absolutely. Dallas took on some best, some of the best teams in the league this week and looked really good. Um, then you got another team in San Francisco that's kind of struggled but hey, man, they're getting some of these new pieces right there. Their puzzle is finally coming together. They've got their $150,000 kid, um, the most expensive L in history. Uh, just kidding. I know that <laughs> it's a process, right? Like a lot of people, Twitch chat, Reddit, um, you know, there was some, some things said about Sinatra. But you know what? I thought he did good. He has a limited amount of land experience, which is something that people tend to forget. You know, people always want to bring up, oh, they got land experience, they got land. Look how good they are on land. All right, well, Sinatra played in the World Cup on land. And maybe one or two other tournaments, if that. I don't even think of that many when he was on Selfless. Yeah, like prior to the World Cup, I don't think he didn't, there was no, there was no contenders because it was a selfless day, uh, the, you know, they went to the solution. And so, yeah, prior, like just basically prior to the World Cup, he didn't have any other land experience then, unless you go back even farther, perhaps, then, then maybe there was some time that we forgot. But, you know, but Sinatra's debut, uh, uh, other than the other than the first map against the uh, against Florida, uh, other than that Volskaya map, he statistically he put on a show, and and he put on a show, and we got we got to see some tactical crouching from him, some of the and some of the, just these uh, amazing pulse bombs that he that he lands and, and such. Uh, my analysis of Sinatra so far, at least for that game, was. It was quite easy to force the recall out of him, making and make and make him vulnerable. But he rapidly uh, adapted as it progressed, and he gave us a show for sure during the during the overtime series against Florida. And yeah, like I think I I, I think he could be one piece of that of the promised answer for San Francisco. They're in it for the long haul, you know. They have they have some they have some uh, people coming in. They have super. They have super coming in. I yeah. I I can't. I can't wait yeah. to see what he does in stage three. I think I'm with you on that. I think that you, know, you can't. You can't really harp on him that much. I think he has to learn the pace of play for OWL a little bit. I want to give him a couple of weeks to kind of get his feet wet, if you will, which is why I think it's great that they're able to play him right away because you may not want to play him next. You know at the very beginning of next stage fresh. Now I would now because he's got some experience under his belt. But if if say for example like before they weren't allowed to play until the start of the next stage, his first game would have been the first week. 
you might say, hey, let's get him some more in scrims or something like that because I want to make sure that we start this stage off with a win, especially San Francisco, who's, you know, trying to make a comeback. But I think that Sinatra's going to get his feel and get his groove. We just have to give him some time. As of right now, it's possible. Like I said, I, think, I don't think he played in another land. Um, but if if the Overwatch World Cup was his first and only land prior to over, Overwatch League, the only teams that he faced were Taiwan, Brazil, New Zealand, and then South Korea in the loss. So not exactly sold on the teams that they played. And now Taiwan's pretty decent. They have a couple good players. But my point is just that we got to give him some real time to acclimate to the top tier um, play. But I think what he's saying, folks, yeah, what he's saying, folks, is like some of the, it's like most of all these, some to all these OWL teams right now are, be- are better or were better are, are better than some of these national teams that they played, like New Zealand, Brazil. Um, they 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 were their national teams, but some countries just don't have that. Just yeah, have they that don't have a giant player base. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think at the end of the day, though, he did play well. He will acclimate a little bit more, and he'll get his kind of. Um, get his shoes on and he'll start playing a little bit better. So I'm not too worried about Sinatra. I think that pretty much covers that topic for later um, before we even got there. But, uh, you know, that takes us into Friday. I want to talk about, um, you know, one map in particular, just because it did have stage playoff implications. And that was Philadelphia Fusion versus LA Valiant. Why don't you start us off there, Mikey? All right. Um, Philadelphia, the Philly versus, um, Valiant map. This is the first that this is the first time in a while that we've seen the Valiant, you know, be as competitive, be as, come off as competitive as they as they haven't been in in quite a while. Now, um, now throughout now throughout the game, we got to see EQO flex his entire his flex his muscles, his entire pool of. I mean, what? What hero on the roster does he not play <laughs> at this point? And uh, we got, to, yeah. Uh, hey, you might hate. You never. Hey, you never know. I mean, I mean, uh, the fans want that symmetry. You know, Muma going that symmetry. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, let's get let, let's get off that topic for a bit. But uh, like EQO just flexing his pool. Uh, Carpe, Carpe, man, that uh, he's just pulling off. He's pulling off these uh, phenomenal performances. But now I want to highlight something. The Fraggy Show. Did y'all? If y'all, if y'all haven't seen it, I want y'all to watch that entire um, Philadelphia versus Valiant series. Who was the Who was the dominant Reinhardt? Oh, oh, the, oh that was just it uh, was just a, a treat to watch. It li- Fraggy could just be anywhere, and he just shattered anywhere wherever he wanted. It was to that point, and uh, but it, it's, it still came. It still came. Uh, it was so close. Came down to a three-two. Philadelphia pulled off the W. Um, now, now I want to hear your thoughts on it. Um, Philadelphia continues to look good. I think that was the first time that we saw the Snillo Carpe duo. I think at first Snillo played some Tracer, but he also was playing some Junkrat. Philly just continues to show versatility, and that makes it harder for other teams to scout and plan for them. If you spend all week planning for EQO Snillo. And then all of a sudden it's Carpe Shadow Burn. Or you spend all your time playing for EQO and Carpe. 
But then they just say, we're going to put Carpe on Widow. We're going to play Snillo on Tracer. And you can't, like, if, you, if you're not Fleta, mm, well, I was going to say, I was gonna say like who else could who else could widow with with Carpe, and uh, I mean this week soon, no one could. But you got it soon, but soon, but I mean you have to ha- you, you got to have the guy on Tracer. <laughs> yeah, but even if he was on Widow, I don't think soon can actually out Widow Carpe. We may never know, but we never have to see it. We never know, but clearly they had no answer to Carpe's Widow. That was that's just the fa- that's just the fact. Yep. Um. It was a good game, though. I enjoyed watching it. It was a 3-2 for Philly. Um, so it was close, but Philadelphia, I think, definitely was decisively better. Uh, on Friday... Hey, we said from the beginning... Oh, sorry. Oh, I was going to say... Oh, we uh, said from the beginning... Go ahead. We said from the beginning, this Philadelphia Fusion squad, they're young, they're explosive, and they and they just, they just had... They just have... They just had the word, like, question mark. They just had question mark written all over them, but, like, Right underneath it, they had volatile, explosive, and we got to see it. They're just, they're just such an aggr- they're just such an aggressive team, and they feed off of just aggression. Every single one of their players were built for nonstop aggression, which, which may have been why they took out the uh, Shadowburn Salt last play. And but they're they're looking to frag. They got and they they turned heads when they made the uh, state when they made stage two playoffs and even finals. But uh, we'll get we'll get to that subject in a bit. Back um, to you. That brings us to Friday. Friday probably Saturday. I mean, oh yeah, Saturday. Sorry. Um, we saw Dallas versus London uh, again. It's a three-one for London, as you know most people expected. But Dallas did look good. It was a lot closer than what you would think for a three-one on most of the maps. Um, Valiant got smashed in by New York Excelsior. I did not anticipate Valiant to be 4-0'd. I would have expected them to at least get one map, but clearly they got some issues that they're working through right now. Um, but the game I thought that was the best one to watch and probably had the most fantasy relevance um, came with Boston and, and the Gladiators. Boston went to th- uh, five maps for the second time this week. And again, like we've said a bunch on the show, you know, playtime is what's really king in fantasy right now. And when you play, you know, 10 maps in a week, you have those extra time, that extra attempts, those extra kills, um, you know, the extra ultimates and stuff that really help pad the stats a little bit. So it was good to see. Um, we'll talk about some of their players a little bit later. But was there anything you wanted to talk about for Saturday, Mikey? I just wanted the Gladiators to win, man. <laughs> it's it. But we just, but like. For Fisher, it, yeah. Yeah, but you know, for with Bo- with Boston, it was the it was the Casper it was the Casper uh, Striker show. They proved to be a better DPS duo that day. They won that day. Yep, absolutely. Um, and that kind of brings us to who is the best on Sunday Championship Sunday for the first time in OWL. Uh, the first map we had the Philadelphia Fusion going in against the London Spitfire. Um, all the analysts on the desk went with London, and Philly came out on top as, uh, I believe, was it Monte Cristo or Doe? I think it was Doe who had said uh, that Huckett was the pander bear, and the pander bear 
went with the fans, went with the Philadelphia Fusion and won. Um, I think that the Fusion won because they played extremely well. And again, like I talked about, I don't think that London was prepared for them to play Widow Tracer with Snillo Carpe at the end on um, Route 66. Uh, they had even beat them on Route 66 earlier um, in the season, and it just didn't didn't work out for them uh, yesterday. So, what did you think? Or not yesterday on uh, Sunday? What did you, that was yesterday actually? Um, so, what did you think about the the first match, Philly versus London? Hey, I found myself cheering for the for the uh, Fusion Squad. You know, we always like you know you always have you always have a soft spot for the underdogs. Philadelphia, they came in. They really came in as underdogs just because that like they were this you know inconsistent team, inconsistent team that found their way this stage against London, the stage one, the, st- the stage one winners. You know, yeah. they were they, like, but they they found their they found their way to victory for sure, and it didn't. It honestly didn't surprise me that Philly pulled off uh, pulled off the W. And and then that brings us into the championship game. We had Philadelphia versus the Newark Excelsior. This game was actually super close. Um, it went t- three to two for New York, but there were times where I thought Philly was going to take it. Um, I actually am kind of surprised that they didn't. I think they made a few mistakes, and that's what caused them to get reverse swept. But um, I got, for example, on Volskaya, they didn't register a point. Um, they got full held by NYXL. I was kind of shocked. I thought that they were going to be able to get the point at, at one time. So, I mean, that's kind of a huge bummer and a letdown, as well as not making it all the way. Like very many people, for whatever reason, making it past Saloon or past uh, Jail on Streets Phase on Hollywood just eludes so many teams. And New York Excelsior was able to take it home. Uh, yeah, like, uh, just, go, just going on, the Holly- on, on Hollywood, I would... Like I would love to see a chart of how many teams like this stage have gotten stopped at a, at that bend of between Jail and Saloon going into like the the uh, the third stretch of Hollywood. It's always that particular section that like if they everyone just get, every attacking team just gets uh, stopped at. And, like I I have no idea why. I'd love to see a chart. Maybe I'd love to see a chart how many times that happened. And I'd love I'd love analysis on that happened. I can't fathom. But that's that's a little off topic. Go back, uh, back to you. Yeah, dude. I think that whatever reason, um, you know, that point struggles for a lot of teams. But at the end of the day, the Philadelphia Fusion weren't able to close it out. But I think that's still a win. I think that it's one of those rare times uh, where oh, you can lose. Oh, Vic. Vic, it got down to a nail biting ending, man. Like yeah. the last last map. You know, Philadelphia, they're pouring in, and they look, they're pouring in just to stall, and it looked like they actually could have recapped, too, by what, what they're pouring in, because, you know, they there were there were some players on the New York side dying, and, you know, they and, and uh, there was just an increased amount of Philadelphia players just pouring in, and was like, oh, Philadelphia might take this back, and then it was just stomped out. It was a true no-biter, and it don't end up... It was just unfortunate. I really thought that the Philadelphia, that Philadelphia would have pulled off the miracle at the Meadowlands all over again. And folks, you know how much I love my, I love, I love, I love my Excelsior, but you know, you, you, but I just, I just had a soft spot for the underdog, man. Yeah, it's not even just the underdog. It's you want to see some of these players succeed. Um, 
you know, for somebody who grew up in the West, I want to see a team in the West succeed against the Koreans. It, it feels good. Um, it's a good story. It makes your heart feel good. It's like watching Miracle, you know. The underdog won. They're overcoming the greatness that is, you know, NYXL, the London Spitfire. Um, but, you know, I all of that stuff aside, fantasy value alone, um, you know, we saw, I think, the complete validity, if at least in this stage, and we'll see if it matters next stage, of running Carpe and Snillo. Um, you know, I don't think that, you know, people who Snillo was on a lot of teams and a lot of leagues um, is not even owned. He's just sitting on the waiver wires. So I, I think that at this point, it's safe to say that you could pick up Snillo as a backup and kind of hope that you're going to get points as well as you can kind of wait to see how things go. Uh, he had 200 points, though, this week. Um, you know, in the top 20, I believe, maybe top 25 for players overall. And and he, and that doesn't even include the, you know, playoffs, uh, the stage playoffs, or, you know, the fact that he didn't play every map. So I think that Snillo, EQO, and Carpe are all going to be ownable um, in every league in stage three. I don't, I don't, I don't disagree. Um, but that kind of brings us to, well, we already kind of talked about Sinatra. So is there anything else? Oh, well, I will talk about Sinatra's fantasy value a little bit. Um, he's definitely worth picking up and I own him in a couple of leagues and I picked him up in a league today or hopefully I put a claim in. We'll see if I get him. Do I think that he is going to be the second coming or he's going to be some great star DPS player right away? No, I don't, but I do think he's worth owning. Um, even, even in this week where he struggled, you know, considerably, um, he still did pretty decently. Uh, not what you want to see out of somebody who DPS for as many maps as, as he did, but I do think it's important to note that he is going to be fantasy viable. He is, you know, not being used or not owned on a lot of teams and a lot of leagues, and you might even be able to pick him up. Um, from somebody who is just listening to everybody or listening to Reddit say Sinatra is bad. He scored 187 points. You know, not bad. Totally serviceable DPS 3, maybe even a DPS 4 on a bad day, but at least a DPS 3. Once he picks things up, he might end up being a DPS 2. We'll we'll have to kind of wait and see, but I do know that the Tracer player on the Shock has traditionally been able to do well. And I think that Sinatra is going to be able to achieve the level of success of of uh, Dante, if not higher. So I'm excited to see where that plays out. I do think if he's on the waiver, he's probably worth picking up. If somebody will take a trade and you think it's going to be a good value, I would definitely be putting in offers. Uh, then we've got uh, some other people that we got to see for the first week. What did you think about Ado and Fearless? Auto, all right, Auto Fearless, the new uh, the new blood for the um, Shanghai Dragons. Uh, well, for the Dragons, they didn't they didn't see the they didn't see the you know I you didn't expect wins to come out of them just because there are other components of the team that needs that needs work. You know the they 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 need a redo, but uh, but Auto. Dope. We we saw we saw flashes of excellence from him, which in which I expected, and um, 
and with uh, and with Fearless, <clears throat> we saw just a completely different main tank for the dragons that they never had, and now the, and now that they do, have, you know, were engagements. Engagements looked clean. The space was space was being made and stuff, and when some fights. Were were almost one off of off of him and just his uh, his intelligence in these engagements. Uh, I believe I believe against the the Houston Outlaws, even though it was a four zero, there was there was a point when they were playing Li Zhang where it was almost questioned that okay, like Shanghai might actually take a map off of Houston and might do it decisively too. <laughs> but um, I if you if you want to say. It wasn't a great debut bumper from Ado and from uh, Ado and Fearless, but it was the debut that Shanghai needs. You know, hope they need Shanghai fans, administration. They need hope, and that's what Ado uh, and Fearless brought. What are your thoughts? Um, I think that they definitely did bring hope for the team. I don't think that it went as well as it could have. I also don't think it went as bad as it could have. Um, the roster that they're playing with had no DPS players, um, at least not native DPS players. Now MG yeah, had a few moments where he, yeah, he, he, MG had a couple moments on Tracer where he looked good, but same story as Jake. Unless you're a Tracer main, it is very hard to compete with the Tracers in this league. Um, so I think that it was good, a good showing. I think that they're going to get better. Hopefully they'll get both their DPS players back. If not, at least they'll be able to get one. And hopefully that uh, they can work well with uh, Otto. I think at the end of the day, both of them may end up being ownable. I'm not as excited to pick them up. I don't own them in any leagues. Um, and I think that they're better players on going to better teams. For example, some of the ones who are getting picked up by the... Florida Mayhem. I think I'm a little bit more interested in owning them right now as I player an awesome guy than I am Fearless and Otto. But keep your eyes on them. We'll see how they continue to see if they continue to improve. They may end up being uh, being able to achieve a level where the team it might not find success, but they're able to find success in their fantasy points. And that's what we really care about here. So um, that brings us on to the final point. Um, stage three. NYXL, formerly Luxury Watch Blue, finally gets a big win. Oh, the LW Blue curse is broken, folks. Oh, oh, finally. It's, that feels good. Feels good. Coming from, coming from the, uh, one of the biggest LW Blue fans, uh, ever, uh, here. <laughs> it's, they finally won something. And they didn't, and they didn't come, and it, and it didn't come second, and it didn't come and then, like, slip out of their hands just just barely. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Dude, I'm happy about it. Um, I've liked New York. I really was rooting for Philly just because, you know, I want the underdog story. And I think that Philadelphia, if I'm being honest, if I had to root for Philly or New York, I'd probably go for Philly for a few reasons. There's a couple players I really like watching. Although I think that there's some players for New York that have me continuing to want to root for them. Uh, Sabi Olby and his his wife. I mean, that the, the real duo right there. Um, <laughs> Pine, the, the video with Pine and Sabi Olby still makes me smile. I'm bummed that Pine isn't feeling right right now. 
Uh, hopefully, he'll be able to figure some stuff out, and we'll be able to see him. I, I'm but I'm glad, to, I'm glad to see Libero, you know, step up to the plate and Libero's widow. What the? Yeah, 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 like uh, he, yeah, like he outdueled Carpe in, in the finals. I was like, okay, uh, okay, yeah, because tradition, folks, like, traditionally, that's traditionally, like uh, anyway, that's not like Tracer dueling Jake. That's yeah, it's like you're, 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 you actually outdueled in the elite widow. Now maybe no, it was just for this game, but it was still it was still a stage final, and we got and we got to see that Libro is serviceable, or maybe even. Fantastic on on Widow without having to sacrifice Sabioli on Widow and sacrificing a, a Tracer player. And folks, just 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 to give a little clarification, Libero, he 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 he's a true Swiss Army knife. Uh, whereas every, whereas everyone else is a Boy Scout knife, he is a true utility Swiss Army knife in that he's and that he has mastered he's he's mastered many heroes to the to the top ability. And but the thing is though. Back in Korea, they all, the joke was that he, he, ma- he mastered all the non-aim heroes. The, the Hanzo, the Junkrat, the Farah, the Genji. But, he, but hey, he turned his when he, when he showed what, oh, his Widowmaker. No brain, <laughs> and, uh, no aim. <laughs> Until true. now. He, Until he, now. He debated us all so hard. Okay, you, you had a Widow this whole time. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, and so I was excited to see that. Even without including the finals, just like the regular weekday, he he came in with two hundred and sixteen points, which is extremely respectable. So, and so wait, uh, actually, this brings into the question. This brings to the question of with with uh, Libro showing his widow potential. What does this mean for pine owners? Um, the truth is, most people don't own pine anymore. I hate to say it, but just because of the nature of the how much he was getting playtime, one map alone, unless you were real hard up, you know, probably wasn't going to be enough points. You could you could choose most any starting tank and get more points than what Pine was getting, unfortunately. So I think that this is actually good for fantasy owners. Um, if you have Pine, I would probably drop him. There are other people we've talked about to look at picking up. You could try to get Sinatra for him. Um you know, Sia player hopefully will be able to find success. Depending on your league, you might be able to trade and get something from somebody else for it. So I think that Pine has value. His name has value. So you might be able to leverage it into something that might be a little bit more suiting. Um, hopefully you can pick up somebody with the likes of Libro. Doubt he's on the waivers, but if he is, he clearly showed that he has a place on every fantasy team going forward. Um, but I think that just about covers... Uh, you know, what we saw this week, I do want to talk about some of the overarching things that we saw go down in team two. Uh, we saw some teams rise and some teams fall. Um, you know, one of the teams that I think is probably rising the most the last two weeks has been the mayhem. Um, what do you think about the mayhem the last couple of weeks? Do you think they are going to be able to turn this around? Because uh, you know, as they continue to find more success, like Boston, Boston isn't the best team, but their players are some of the best in fantasy because they continue to be in these f- deep four maps or long five map series. Uh, what do you think the mayhem's future holds? Well, uh, we we went over this. Every player on the mayhem is improving. They've drastically improved ever since stage one when they were considered the other Shanghai Dragons. But uh, they, they've improved dra- drastically. But the key player 
to, to watch was Logics. And if you just see, if you, if you saw him throughout the stage, each game progressing, he, he just he became just more comfortable, more happy, more smiling, ear, grinning ear to ear as he came, came out walking um, during, during the walkouts. And he's even noted that with the addition of Ryder, they just understand the game better. And every, and just things started clicking better, and you could see this from just uh, from recent results. They're playing on an astronomical level that they we haven't seen from them in a long time, and quite frankly, I expect from yeah. from the start. So some of the other teams that are kind of on the rise here that we've talked about, we talked about Dallas, um, their roster that they picked out. I think they're going to be able to continue to improve. I buy them as being a better team in stage three than they were in stage two. Um, shock. I'm not sure where they're going to finish the season, but I believe that their players are going to give us value either way. Um, they're never going to be a team that's out of it. I think that at the end of the day, they're going to be probably fighting for one of those playoff spots. Um, they're in ninth right now, uh, with a, they're 14 maps behind and four games. But if they kind of start picking it up, Valiant, uh, who we're going to talk about soon, and even Houston to an extent, are kind of on the decline. So it's possible that, you know, Shock gains enough ground where they can kind of leverage themselves back into the playoffs. Is it going to be hard? Yes. But I think that they're also a team that's going to continue to fight for pride, and they're not going to be giving up games. So because of the way that the league is structured, and these teams will always have the chance to win the stage, um, it kind of benefits you in fantasy because you know you're not going to have a team that really gives up. And then the last one that I think is on the rise, I'll let you talk about this a little bit. We did talk in depth about one of the main reasons last week, um, but uh, the Los Angeles Gladiators and their new addition, Fisher with Void on his way. What do you think? Confirms now, ladies and gentlemen, confirms Void. void uh, but uh, yeah. Uh, the gladiators, like a like, when they have no. Oh, I, I can't even. Every time we talk about the gladiators, I I'm in a loss of words. But with, for the gladiators, with the addition of Void, they now have that final piece. In my opinion, that they've been missing. That they've been missing that flex tank player that understands exactly what Fisher wants to do. And I mean, he played with Fisher back in the day. Now that now that they have this stable diva player, it's only it's uh, sky's the limit for them. Stars are the limit for what this uh, for what uh, Fisher Void and then just the, the trio of DPS players can do. And I I believe we discussed this uh, in Victus that outside outside of the three Korean teams are actually even even with the three Korean teams, I think that. Uh, Shaz and Big Goose might be top in the top three best support duo. Yeah, that's <laughs> on, definitely possible. I mean, any given day, I think specifically in OWL, you know, Jay Hong, honestly, I consider to be one of the best players in the world before OWL started. Um, a combination of other players increasing their skill level, um, maybe some innate cockiness that Sol has had. We've seen him have some pretty poor positioning a couple of times in the league. Where I think Shaz and Big Goose have really worked well together, found a way to fit in with their team. Um, 
And honestly, there have been some times we were talking about watching, like, they were going in. They, Shaz was going off, and, like, him and Big Goose getting kills left and right. They both have had some serious success in fantasy in Stage 2. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, but first, I do want to say a couple of teams I think are on the on the fall, the, the decline, or as I wrote in the notes, doing a swan dive into a shallow pool. Just shallow pool. <laughs> I um, love it. The Los Angeles Valiant, we've seen, or you might have seen, if you haven't yet, I would definitely recommend watching it. Their video, the um, Valiant Insight, I believe it's called, or something like that, Inside the Valiant. Um, it's on YouTube. I think it's their fourth episode. You really see that there's starting to get some pretty pretty harsh tensions in the team house. And, and between the team, rumors are flying about players possibly getting traded. Um. I, I'll just say that video. It's the first time I've ever had a bad feeling of going to an in and out. <laughs> but uh, yes. Oh yeah, I that's believe, the I hear some one, people yeah. getting. But the next one with Unco, or not with Unco, but where they lose, um, it shows a little bit more. It's after the Agilities video, and you can definitely see some of the tensions flying. I think it'll be interesting to see how they kind of fix things if they can, or if you know Unco ends up getting traded, as the rumors suggest. Um, so the Valiant, I think are probably one of the ones they had the hardest, uh, fall. If you look at the stage by itself, um, stage one, Valiant finished fourth stage two, Valiant finished eighth. Um, now at the same time, Houston, the other team that we're going to talk about here went from finishing second in stage one to seventh, uh, even farther fall. I think that their decline has largely done been had to do with the meta and lacking a strong tracer player. You could play around without a tracer player or a tracer main uh, when you're going Widow and Junkrat or Genji Junkrat when Junkrat was buffed, when you had Mercy, the stage one meta essentially. Those are more viable strats. Stage two, those have really struggled. And on top of that, like we said earlier, Houston said, hey, we're going to play what we what everybody is playing and not play what we're good at. Fantasy value on those teams is still there um, because both of them are still contending in a lot of matchups. Now, I would be a little bit nervous about Unko possibly. If you own Unko and he ends up getting traded to the fuel, we might have to wait to see how he gets integrated or if he gets integrated even, to be honest. So we'll see how that goes. But Houston players, I think, continue to hold solid value. Uh, I am nervous about Jake, depending on what heroes he ends up playing, but we'll have to wait to see how the stage meta or the stage three meta evolves. Um, Linkser is still a must own and a must start. I think that Rockus, your tank players, mostly Muma, are going to continue to be viable. Diva players are hard right now, but um, what do you think about that? Yeah, and Arhan, I think, is definitely. Uh, a valid pickup because he could end up seeing a ton of playtime. So once he gets available, all right. Um, I think that still is a, a rumor. I'm not sure that's actually confirmed yet. So that brings us into kind of the final topic for the night, which is going to be the standouts. Now, the way that I kind of created these lists were not so much based on the actual point totals. I was 
creating a spreadsheet and was trying to update it for map scores and uh, points per map and stuff like that. But I've been too busy with, you know, getting married and work and stuff to be able to keep up with that. So I don't have the actual point totals for players and you can't really get that easily on Winston's lab. Uh, so what I did do is kind of look at the top three for every single week and then kind of some of the other ones that are around there and how often they ended up at the upper echelons of the weekly points totals. Um, so first, I do want to go over the tank standouts. So you're going to have Gesture, Fisher, and Gamsu. Um, is there anything you want to say about any of those tanks, Mikey? Uh, yeah, those are all, those are all solid picks. You know, you have it's it's, fun, it's funny that we have that we have a uh, two uh, both former and current London players <laughs> in there, but yeah, also all three about, Korean. All three Korean, by the way, Korean tanks. You know, last, last episode, last episode, but um, they just they continue to show their consistent um, performance and per, per, performance and just and uh, clear output. You know, Gensu that, that may be that may be a surprise pick. That may be a surprise pick, but just given the number, the amount of times he played, uh, minutes, and minutes he's played, maps he's played, and what I believe he's on two games, he's not. Played. Four. He, he was out for four. Apparently, he might have been back in Korea. I'm not sure exactly. But but I will say that all three weeks that Gamsu started, he was one of the top three tanks. Um, and a couple of them, he was the number one. I believe one week he was even the number two overall point scorer behind Stryker. So... I think that these are all very valuable tank uh, pickups. If you, they're probably owned in every one of your leagues. But if you have an extra player, you might be able to try to make a trade. Now, I haven't experienced a lot of people doing trades, but I would trade or put out a Sinatra trade or something like that for Gamsu. There have been other analysts out there thinking that Gamsu isn't going to be the starter and they're going to start Kalios on tank, you know, despite what, they said on Twitter about Gamsu just being sick and then Gamsu being back in Korea. People want to say, oh, well, Kalios, this is what they're going to do. They looked real good. Arr. But that's not what's happening. You know, I called it from the beginning. I followed the tweets. Like, are they going to lie in tweets? Yes, but not very often. And Gamsu has always been a valuable tank. There has not been a week where he's really been a feeder, um, except for maybe one or two in the very early standouts. But I I think Gamsu's going to continue to be one of the better tanks in the league. Um, that brings us to the DPS players. We got Striker, Carpe, and then I wanted to shout out, I think that DPS I did four because there are a couple players who were all really consistently up at the top. Um, and that's going to be Striker, Carpe, Prophet, and Sabiolbi's wife. <laughs> um, yeah, you can't, yeah. They're, you know, without one, they're not the other. <laughs> exactly. Um, I used to know her name, but I forgot it. I think it's like Jin or something like that. Um, but it, it, it doesn't matter. The fact is, all of those DPS players have continually scored a ton of fantasy points. They continue to look good in-game. Um, even when they're blowing out other teams, they're able to score a ton of points because of the heroes they're playing. Uh, note that they're all Tracer Widow, Widow players. I think there's a lot to be said with that. Um, if you own them, you're probably extremely happy about it. Uh, and then for the support players, Mikey, um, why don't you go over those for us? 
Oh, well, um, well, for the support players, we have Jonak, unsurprisingly. Uh, he, he's the uh, top overall player um, this season, I believe. And he's definitely one of the top. Both. I don't know if he is anymore. I believe he was after stage oh. one, but I think it's it might be he might have got surprised now, but quite, not sure. Quite a while, yeah. He's been quite a while. He's been the top overall player. Jonak, uh, but Ocean, Shaz, and Neko. Uh, I the the, the common trait around these players is uh, around these players is um they they do they do a considerable amount of damage with which translates into kills. Overall, overall ton of heat, overall ton of healing. They don't die. They don't die. Off. They don't die often. Yeah. Uh, Neko was a bit of a surprise pick in there. What? Tell, tell me about that. Tell me about that. Well, pick. it's just the points uh, for the weeks. Let me pull up my little my little cheat sheet over here. Neko, um, Neko finished in the top four. Uh, I believe three out of the five weeks, if not four out of the top five. So at least three. And the final week 10, he was actually top. Now, again, this comes down to, you know, playtime. He's in there. They're playing a ton of five-map series. Uh, Boston is negative one in the map differential um, for stage two, which just tells you that they, they went they went hard. They had a lot of maps. They did a total of 43 maps. Um, let's see. I think most of the other teams had like 40, 41 uh, so they had a few more maps than some of the other teams. So I think that that's kind of part of the reason. But I do believe that they're going to continue to be successful. Neko uh, and Boston are going to continue to be in those tough matchups. I think that they can compete and go five maps with Houston, Valiant, Shock, Florida, you know, Los Angeles, even Philly sometimes. So they may be the kind of gatekeepers to the top six. And they may continue to kind of sit right there because they've been six both both times in stage one and in stage two. Uh, so we'll see how things kind of go. I'm hoping that they pick it up a little bit, but I do think it's possible that they find themselves in kind of a gatekeeper situation where they're going to constantly be in tough games. And that's going to mean a lot of points. No, I don't disagree. I don't disagree by any means. Um, yeah, the... This this, this this charge just has the well, probably probably the most consistent uh, support players. Now, I would have thought uh, coming going into stage two, we would have saw Jay Hong, we would have saw Jay Hong in there, but they had their but they had their struggles. Whereas Shaz and Neko, they 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 proved to be they proved to be the stars for both your for both your overall for both uh, just Overwatch and your fan and just and your fantasy. Yeah, absolutely. I think that a lot of these players are good. Now, there are other players that I think are definitely capable of being in the top. There, I could give you lists of honorable mentions. But at the end of the day, I think that these players were some of the best almost every single week. Um, and they're probably your MVP on your team if you have them. If you have more than one, you're probably in a really good league and you're probably doing really well. Because um, honestly, if you had three out of these, what was it? 11 players on your team you you're probably in championship contention so but i think that kind of covers up what we thought about stage uh three we're gonna have a fresh episode next week we're gonna actually go more in depth into or sorry that finishes up stage two next week we're gonna go over stage three we're gonna give you a weekly preview as well as a stage preview and go over some numbers and get ready during the time we have off 
to bring you guys some more stats about uh, what players to look out for and what way you want to format your roster as you get ready for stage three. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to say today, Mikey? Oh, we have we have quite a surprise for you for uh, stage three. I mean, we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk about new bounce changes, which which uh, could arguably put some teams in better contention than others. You know, it, it could uh, this new bounce change could talk with quite the meadow wins championships just as much as teams do. Exactly, like stage two, stage two, it really been it really benefited the teams that could run the aggressive dive of Lucio said, and so and so the out so the overall outcome. Uh, towards the towards champ, uh, towards playoff time, all the teams that were there, we expected them to be there. But you know, this this new one could put some new, but could put some other teams that were once out of the question in contention. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not sure who that's going to be, but I'm excited to find out in a couple of weeks. Um, but Mikey, where can the people find you, my dude? Ah, uh, well, uh, you can. F- you can find me on my Twitter. My handle is at wmikejl. Um, you know, feel free to tweet at me or whatever. I don't. Um, I sometimes sparingly tweet about Overwatch on there, but I'm happy to converse with you over on anything Overwatch or fantasy. I'm still new to this, but hey, you know, I hope I'm improving. And uh, and feel free to contact me on our Discord. Yeah, join no. the Discord. I'll put a link in the show notes, and it's on the top of our Twitter for the show, which is Fantasy Watch O-Dub. You can also follow us there, and you can follow me at Invictus O-Dub also on Twitter. Um, you can hit us up on the on the Twitter. We will answer questions on there. Uh, Mikey will soon have the password to that. Uh, or you can join our Discord where we both talk all the time. Join our conversation. We've got a few other people in here that kind of talk, um, and we're trying to get a little community going. Um, but I do want to thank you guys all for listening. I know we've got some consistent listeners and we've got some new listeners. We appreciate you all. And, uh, we look forward to talking to you next week. Uh, signing off, signing off and, uh, just, um, have fun, have fun in your, have fun in your break between uh, stages and get ready for an exciting stage three. Yeah. Can't we wait. can, we can all actually go play Overwatch and not just watch Overwatch all week. <laughs> Be excellent to each other, dudes.